Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, this weekend, it's the event we've been waiting for all summer. Findlay rocks the 60s live. We'll get a preview. Also coming up, this year's many weather extremes are cited as examples of climate change and the importance of minimizing environmental hazards like methane leaks. Where the energy industry being more proactive in containing those losses also carries a significant economic benefit, we'll explain. Even with money being as tight as it is for so many people, a new bank rate survey finds billions of dollars worth of gift cards are sitting around unused. And we have details on the latest happenings at the Findlay Hancock County Public Library. Sarah Clevidence will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. You know, this is uh, really an, an interesting idea. I saw this on the uh, on the newswire. Talk about the uh, first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and uh, buzzworthy stories of the day. And I saw this uh, on the uh, newswire group in North Dakota is working on a new bill uh, in the state. And this would, uh, and I'm not sure whether this would set. Uh, limits for just state elected officials or federal elected officials from North Dakota. But this group in North Dakota is working on a bill that would set age limits for elected officials. Not a minimum age, mind you, a maximum age limit. Jared Hendricks, who heads up the group behind the measure, tells the Associated Press the group is aiming to get it on the primary election ballot in June of next year, under the proposed law, no one who would turn 81 years old by the end of their term could be elected or appointed to, oh, well, here it says, to the state's U.S. House or Senate seats. So if this were to pass, the state of North Dakota, and I believe it would be the first state in the union, would have a rule that if you were elected or appointed to an office, uh, you could not turn 81 years old at any point during that term. So what the Senate is, uh, the House is two years, the Senate is six. So you, you do the math, you could only be so old in order to run because if you were to turn 81 during that term, you would be ineligible. Now, I don't know, um... I mean, I guess that would be that would be legal, right? There's no say law saying that they can't pass such a measure in their state. It would only apply to individuals representing the state of North Dakota. But it is interesting uh, to see if uh, that might that might come up. And here's and I guess it would just uh, it would just cover the uh, House and Senate seats. So presumably, you could re- you could vote for say, President Biden for president would obviously be over the age of 81. Um, But uh, Biden is over 81 now, isn't he? Anyway, um, I don't know. He's old. Um, But uh, but this would just cover uh, U.S. House and uh, and Senate seats. Be interesting if that uh, if that catches on. Some of the other uh, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day we're talking back to school this week as we have mentioned on friday we're going to be taking the show on the road we will be at mcdonald's on tiffin avenue it is our annual stuff the bus campaign 
Uh, we're collecting school supplies for kids in need uh, around the area. And everyone, with the rising cost of everything, everybody looking for back-to-school deals, and some parents are resorting to hand-me-downs. 44%, uh, this is a new survey, 44% of parents of school-age kids say they plan to purchase second-hand items for their kids this year, and 38% are going to have their kids reuse school supplies like backpacks and lunchboxes from previous years, either their own or maybe some siblings' uh, gear that uh, that kids will be using come back to school. 2,000 parents in the survey found that they expect to spend an average of $489 on school supplies. The National Retail Federation is projecting a much bigger outlay. I think we had we were talking about this last week. National Retail Federation says it's going to be more like $800 per person, but um, parents say they expect to spend an average of $489 uh, on uh, back-to-school my guess is it's probably going to come in somewhere in between the $400, four to $500, and the $800 or so that the National Retail Federation uh, projects. But anyway, somewhere in the middle, I would guess. Uh, half of those in the survey will try to save by shopping early. 45% will meal prep and plan. I think we all do that. 47% have to take their kids' pickiness into account when preparing meals come back to school time, 88% of parents say their child uh, will will eat leftovers. So talk about uh, repurposing. We're going to be serving up leftovers when we pack our kids' lunch at school uh, in the uh, coming year. Parents are finding that leftovers are not just a time and money saver for dinner. They can also uh, be all or part of uh, tomorrow's lunch. Blah, 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 blah. The survey... Uh, was uh, commissioned by uh, Stasher, which I think is like a leftover storage system, something like that. So that's why they're talking about leftovers. But but again, extrapolating that on out to uh, hand-me-downs and, and leftovers with school supplies. I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. A lot of students. And that's really, you know, I get it. I understand. But like we were talking about yesterday on the on the program, Hey, every kid deserves to have brand new stuff to start the school year. You know, there's just something about, I mean, think back to when you were a kid and, you know, getting all of this brand new stuff to start the new year for you're ready to go. You're excited. And largely it's because you've got all this brand new stuff. If you are going back to school with leftovers or hand-me-downs of school supplies and, old cruddy crayons and you know, all of that half used erasers and you know things like that pencils that are uh, already stubby from the start I, it's, it's just not the same hence the uh, stuff the bus campaign we'll see you out there on friday some of the other uh, things that are going on here among the first things you need to know this morning the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day uh, there is research, speaking of kids, this is kind of interesting. There is research that suggests that kids who grow up with a dog are healthier and happier than those who live in pet-free households. They're healthier, they're happier, they're more well-adjusted, so on and so forth. All of the benefits uh, that kids derive from having a dog in the household. But 
Apparently, the opposite is not true. Arizona State University surveyed 21,000 dog owners as part of their dog aging project and found that the presence of kids in a household was negatively connected to a dog's health. (laughs) So having a dog may be healthy for kids, but having a kid is not necessarily healthy for, for the dog. The more children that uh, there are in the household, the less time that uh, people will spend with, with the pets. That's the long and short of it. You have, you have kids, they are demanding your attention, you don't have a, uh, time to pay attention to your pets, and that is uh, detrimental to your pet's uh, health, both mentally and physically. The study finds that uh, more dog companions positively more uh, dog companions positively impacted health and that uh, social factors have the strongest influence even more than financial factors and the owner's age. So uh, I guess the long and short of it is don't forget to pay attention to your pet uh, if you have a, a dog in your household. Don't give all of your time to your kids. Make sure that your pet is getting plenty of attention too. That is the long and short of it. Um Let's see. Uh, Speaking of health, this is a survey of 720,000 veterans. And I bring this up because the results of the survey, they uncovered eight health habits that could extend your life by decades. Not just extending your life By a month or two or a year or two, we're talking decades. 40-year-old men who practice these habits could add 24 years to their lives. Women who practice these health habits could add 21 years to their lives. So this is not insignificant. This is big news. The habits are, you ready? Being physically active is number one. Never smoking, number two. Uh, observing a good diet, number three, not regularly binge drinking is number four, getting good sleep is number five, positive social relationships is number six, stress management, number seven, and being free of an opioid addiction, number eight. And a couple of those are rather obvious, one would think, but uh, the earlier the better. Doctors say, even if you only make a small change and it doesn't come until your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, it's still beneficial. But uh, adopting these healthy lifestyle habits uh, from the get-go can add literally decades to your life by preventing the underlying causes of chronic diseases, which could uh, help people live longer until their 80s rather than their 60s. So, there you go. All of those things are a good thing. I think, you know, it's all uh, pretty much obvious stuff, but the whole idea that it could add 20 plus years to your life is uh, pretty significant. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, and this may be the biggest news of the day, definitely something you want to know. The experts at Emojipedia have released... 118 new emoji designs up for approval. 
Now, this comes around every year about this time. We get new emoji. Now, these are the ones they have been proposed. They're not necessarily officially uh, part of the emoji collection yet. But the new designs, 118 of them up for approval include heads shaking up and down and side to side. All right. A lime, a phoenix, a broken chain, and people facing right. (laughs) The new directional emojis allow users to select a different orientation for the activities they are used to seeing face left. Uh, They are a person walking, a person kneeling, a person running, person with a cane, a person in a manual or motorized wheelchair. Uh, Expect to see some companies come out with early emoji support later this year. The majority of updates will take place in the first half of next year. These are the official new emoji. Again, it's important stuff. We want to make sure that we uh, keep you up to date with the uh, latest uh, life-altering things. It's like new words that they add to the dictionary. <laughs> when we have new emoji, we gotta we got to know about this. It's important stuff. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected today with a high in the upper 80s, partly cloudy tonight, a low in the upper 60s. The Finley Police Department is in need of a few more people to help out with Flag City Night Out next week. The popular community event will be held on Tuesday, August 1st at Riverside Park beginning at 6 p.m. The free family-friendly community event is held annually and designed to bring community members and public safety professionals together in the same place. It will include free food and refreshments, live demonstrations, entertainment, and other fun activities. Learn more about Flag City Night Out and how you can help out with it in this story on our website. About 30 SWAT members from Ottawa, Sandusky, and Erie counties were called to South Bass Island in Lake Erie Saturday night. Ottawa County sheriffs received seven calls about riots on the island. 19,000 people were in downtown Putin Bay, and police feared they would lose control of the area, including the Jet Express dock. So SWAT teams were called in, and the crowds were put back under control. I'm Tatiana Cash. Police said about 10 fights were broken up by SWAT members, and two people were arrested. The Stuff the Bus Community School Supplies Drive is happening this week. Every child deserves to have new things to start the school year off. Tammy Stahl, Executive Director of Christian Clearinghouse, says backpacks are always the biggest need, but you can also donate things like pencils, crayons, binders, and much more. The school bus that's being stuffed will be in front of the McDonald's on Tiffin Avenue in Finley, as usual. Hours are 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Thursday and Friday, and on Saturday from 10 to 2 Get more of our conversation with Tammy about Stuff the Bus in the story on our website. The city of Finley has changed the date for the upcoming Wags and Walks event due to very warm weather in the forecast. The event will now be held on Thursday, October 5th instead of this Wednesday. The upcoming event will give people a chance to get outside and get active and possibly also make a connection with a shelter dog for the Humane Society and SPCA of Hancock County. The upcoming Wags and Walks event on Thursday, October 5th, is part of Finley Mayor Christina Mearns Move with the Mayor campaign. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchak for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. 
So this is our cover story this morning, actually, happening this weekend. It is the event that I think most folks, many folks, have been looking forward to all summer long. It is Findlay Rocks the 60s goes live at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. It is a very special, one-of-a-kind, once-in-a-lifetime concert, live concert, celebrating the history of live local bands in Findlay. It is going to be an awful lot of fun. And in case you missed it, a couple, three weeks ago, earlier this month, or maybe it was the tail end of last month anyway, uh, here not all that long ago, Sarah Sisser from the Hancock Historical Museum and uh, Reg Routson, local judge who is uh, well known as a longtime member, a longtime aficionado of the uh, local music scene, who helped put together this show and the uh, exhibit at the museum that the show is based on. They both, uh, Sarah and Reg, dropped by the studio to tell us more about this incredible show that is coming up this weekend. So this has been a great labor of love for not only uh, Judge Routson, but also our curator and archivist, Joy Bennett. They've made a good team um, uncovering a lot of this history and documenting it. And so we've had this wonderful exhibit at the museum that just really um, lent itself so well to doing something like this. So I'm so glad that we're being able to bring it to a live audience. Was this your idea to do a live concert to say, hey, let's we've got the exhibit. Now let's do it live. Where did that come from? Well, after we worked, Joy and I and Sarah, of course, helped us work real hard to put the exhibit in the museum. I'd always wondered, why don't we just go the next step? and recreate the music from the local bands. And what's not part of this exhibit, but is also true historically, is the number of national acts which passed through Finley in the 60s. So we're weaving in between the local music and the national acts that uh, came through Finley during that decade. So how long has this been uh, in the works in terms of putting all this together and getting a hold, reaching out uh, to all of the folks and you know putting it all together, making it happen? Well, Chris, if I had thought it was going to be this difficult when I started, I would just—I would have ended with the exhibit and thought that was the, the crowning end of my career. But uh, I, I thought we, we could do this and it could be a benefit. Plus, I sort of envision it as sort of a giant 60s reunion in a way for all of us who grew up during that era and graduated. Most of us graduated right at the change of the decade. I graduated in 71, but a lot of people that are going to come in are going to perform were in the late 60s. So it's sort of like the... Uh, hopefully culmination of a whole bunch of work and i thought it would be a really good idea you know it's it's all about finley it's finley based so and are most of the folks who are going to be performing are they still here in the area are they coming back from you know places that life has taken them elsewhere or we have both and unfortunately because of the age of some some people the lineup has been changing over the last several months only due to health concerns but Mm -hmm. for example we have Two people that played in a band later on in the 60s who were driving back, one from Woodstock, New York, and the other from New Hampshire. Wow. A couple of guys that played in a band in the middle 60s live in Florida, and they're hopefully going to send us a video of them playing, sort of like one of those COVID concerts where they split the screen. So we're hoping to handle it that way, and we're still getting, as a matter of fact, I was waiting to come in and see you. I got a 
a text message from one of the former band members who now has expressed an interest and now is trying to get me more information. So it's sort of an evolving yeah process oddly that was what i uh, was wondering what's the reaction i mean when you reach out to some of these guys and you track them down because i am sure like i mentioned some of them are are still here but then they've scattered uh all out so in in terms of tracking them down and then once you reach out and say hey this is the idea what's the reaction it's been the entire spectrum of human emotion (laughs) some people have been extremely flattered and some people have uh, been flattered but slightly embarrassed because their <laughs> memories just aren't quite as good as they used to be. Yeah. The materials they once had, they can't find. I mean, we're talking 50, yeah. over 50 years ago, yeah. of course. Other pe- others have just simply uh, ignored me, and others <laughs> have expressed some hostility. <laughs> really? If you can believe it, yes. yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be an awful lot of fun. How many, again, this is all... Uh, you know, kind of fluid, and so you know the lineup can change. But the who is coming that we would know, and you know what what bands, what members, you know what's the lineup look like? Well, the first rock and roll band in Finley in the '60s is a band called the Checks, and one of the original members is still alive, and he's going to perform. He's 82 years old. Wow! Another member of a band that came right after that is 80. He's going to perform. And then other members of bands that were very popular in the 60s, a guy, Bob Nash, for example, had, had the carpet shop, and others of his uh, age group are going to perform. And some of my colleagues, we came along a little, a little bit later, are going to come and perform. I think we have about 16 people that are still scheduled from the era alive to perform. We've had a couple people with some health problems, and there's little precarious right now but we're ho- hoping they work through this and they're, they're able to make it and is this going to be kind of an, an all-star thing where everybody's just going to be jamming and what does rehearsal look like what does that mean there's a lot of logistics that have to uh, uh yeah and that's why together. i'm regretting getting into all this <laughs> but, but we actually have a structure uh Joy and I and Dave Crosser Dave's going to be the MC mm-hmm. have worked on a script and we're going to take it chronologically from the 60s and end in 1969. So we're going to start with Bobby Rydell, who you may or may not remember, was mm-hmm. a teen idol from the day, who was right. at the Green Mill Garden twice in 1960. Mm. And we're going to end it with a performance by Ted Nugent, who performed as a member of the Amboy Dukes in 1969 at the then Central Auditorium. I was there. I've never recovered from it. but <laughs> I, 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 I was there. So we're going to go chronologically. We're going to weave the national acts in between the local acts, and we have a house band, and then we have guests are going to come and perform and sing a couple songs and then leave the stage, so it's going to be quite a operation. Sarah's agreed to be the stage manager, so she'll be in charge. And one of the really neat things is that it's become this very intergenerational yeah. um, celebration, so we have... Um, you know, members of FFE that will mm-hmm. be performing as backup for some of these numbers and awesome. um, some of the more um, just contemporary talent that we have here locally. Jason Wagner is going to be performing. And so it's been neat to see that come together mm-hmm. and also the appreciation um, acknowledged and, and grown um, among a younger audience for this era of music and the musicians we had here. And what a, a great way of bringing history to life. I mean, because there's so much history from Absolutely. the local bands, uh, and then, of course, the history of the music, which everybody still loves, but the local bands, and then, as Reg was mentioning, the fact that we had a number of national, national acts. acts that that 
played locally. I don't know how many people realize Ted Nugent actually played in the Central Auditorium stage. So. We had some great venues, and I think that's been part of the exhibit as well. So to be able to also bring all of that back yeah. to that same stage is pretty neat as, yeah. as well. So uh, the date on the concert is when? Saturday, July 29th, okay. and you can purchase your tickets now. They are going quickly. We're excited about how many people have been um, excited to take part in this. And so you can purchase them uh, at, on the website for Marathon Center for the Performing Arts, mcpa.org. Um, or you can get the link uh, at our website, HancockHistoricalMuseum.org, or you can purchase them at the box office at MCPA. Again, uh, Sarah Sisser and uh, Reg Routson talking about uh, Findlay Rocks of the 60s goes live. The show is this Saturday evening at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. The last I checked, there were only a handful of tickets left. Very few tickets left, but there are still some out there you can uh, get more information about the tickets and uh, pick up one of the few that are left at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Well, you know, given all the weather extremes that we have seen this year, climate change is once again a hot topic, and methane leaks are known to be a significant contributor. With methane being more than 25 times as potent as carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere. But methane leaks also can have a significant business impact. In 2021 alone, the global oil and gas industry wasted $19 billion of natural gas due to methane emissions. So what to do? How to get that under control for both economic and environmental reasons? Dr. Robert Kester is Chief Technology Officer for Emissions at Honeywell. Dr. Kester, let's start with the way that methane leaks are monitored now, how is this currently managed primarily? So currently in the oil and gas industry, it's a very manual process. And not too long ago, people were literally walking around putting soap on joints, looking for bubbles if they were coming out or what's typically called an AVO inspection, audible, visual, olfactory, mm-hmm. where a person would just walk around and see if they could smell something. Um, more recently, there's been some technology development where people have sniffers or cameras where they'll walk around, but it's still really treated outside of the process. And it's done, you know, maybe twice a year, you know, three to four times a year at best. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a, a, a huge gap between when a leak could actually occur from when these inspections or surveys uh, catch them. So a decidedly low-tech monitoring system in a high-tech world that we live in here, by contrast, you have developed something called the End-to-End Emissions Management Suite. What is this and how does it work? Yeah, so, so, you know, we kind of took a look at this. I'm, I'm in the Honeywell process control area where a lot of the products within pipes are continuously monitored. Um, you know, a lot of sensors and data. And, and then once you have all that data, you roll it into software to do, you know, optimization, plant optimization. When we took a look at this problem, we kind of approached it from that same perspective. How do we take something that's, you know, manual, treated outside of the process and bring it back into the process, you know, provide 
instrumentation that can do continuous monitoring. And, and that's really, you know, what I'm excited to, to talk about today is, is we have our Forge Sustainability Plus software platform, which is a, a cloud offering that, you know, will pull in all of this data from emissions monitoring automatically, generate reports um, that are typically done manually, you know, in Excel spreadsheets mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, and then feed in, you know, device information. But the other gap that we found is is oftentimes these sites have no, like, environmental monitoring at the facility. You know, it's still, you know, people walking around. So we've also launched, you know, an exciting new product. It's an IoT device. It looks like a Coke bottle size sensor that's, uh, you know, has its own power built into it, has its own wireless connectivity. And essentially what you do is you just place these sensors. They have a, in fact, a magnetic base on them. They're mm-hmm. that easy to deploy. And you just place them around your facility, connect them to the cloud, like your cell phone. And, and now you're getting real-time data that's telling you where your leaks are located, how big they are, when they occurred. So, you know, where in the past you used to spend 90% of your time driving around looking for leaks. Yeah. Now you're spending 90% of your time fixing the leaks. And this technology does all the monitoring for you. It strikes me that uh, to hear you describe it, it's not dis- not entirely dissimilar to, like, for example, the, the sensors that you can buy for your home that detect water leaks and uh, alert you on your, on your mobile device if uh, there's a water leak detected. Is this kind of the same type of idea here? Absolutely. And we have a, a couple of different sensors. You, you know, it's it's like a ring camera. We have cameras right. that will visually see it. So, you know, in the past, you'd have no idea if a package arrives at your home. Right. Now you can log into your phone and you get an image showing it. It's the same way. We, we're providing these these devices that can send you alerts when things occur. So you're, you're not left guessing, hey, so- you know, do I have a leak here? Do I not? So uh, this may be kind of a dumb question because some uh, some of this will be obvious, but what are the benefits here? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of benefits which which are exciting. The obvious one, I mean, and, and you know, just from you know how hot it is today, right? Right. That, that reducing methane leaks are super important for for capping uh, global warming, uh, reducing the number of, of of global warming molecules in the air, right? So there's a huge environmental benefit. But what's not as obvious for the industry, and we've been able to show through early adopter pilot programs and and whatnot, is there's a huge economic benefit. Like you'd mentioned, $19 billion in in wasted product from Mm -hmm. leaks. You know, we can capture that. And then that's $19 billion towards somebody's bottom line, right? So there is a huge economic um, benefit for the industry towards early leak detection um, and management. So what is the response to this within the industry? Yeah, so the the industry is really excited. I I think what you've seen more recently is a lot of of oil and gas companies have made pretty bold um, commitments towards, you know, reaching net zero. 
you know, an, an oil and gas company that's going to reach net zero for their carbon intensity, right? And so they're actually coming to us looking for solutions. That's really what drove a lot of this this technology development mm-hmm. is like, hey, I, I've, I've made this commitment. I need technology providers to develop the solutions that can help us get there. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a key part of it. So through deploying these sensors, we now provide for you know, the C-suite on down, real-time tracking of their scope one, their direct emissions, you know, their their power, you know, emissions from their power utilization, mm-hmm. and then also their entire supply chain. Well, so now you can start tracking this in real time. Yeah, well, and, and just, again, relating it to uh, our, our homes, if I go out and buy an, an Energy Star appliance, I know that's going to be friendlier for the environment, which is great. But at the end of the day, it's also going to save me money, which is one of the things that I'm most concerned with. And again, it's kind of the same thing here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a, a really good story. I mean, it's it's a way where you know, not only do you save money, but you can feel good about you know the industry, about yourself, that you know, your energy provider is doing things in a responsible fashion and they're deploying technologies like like what Honeywell's provided that's actually making the oil and gas industry more sustainable option yeah. for your, you know, energy needs. So so we're excited about it. Dr. Robert Kester is Chief Technology Officer for Emissions at Honeywell. And where do folks learn more uh, about these uh, new systems? Yeah, so they can go to, to Honeywell.com and, and look at uh, uh, Forge Sustainability Plus, so, you know, emissions management solutions. Um, you know, if they if they query that on our website, they'll go directly to uh, a lot of material and they can learn about, you know, this technology, but then they can also learn about, um, you know, a lot of the other solutions we have around decarbonization and, and really offsetting what your emissions are coming from your operations and leaks. And so it's a, a great resource for those interested in, in, you know, figuring out how to reach net zero. Dr. Kester, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day. Well, I guess we're kind of jumping on the Christmas in July bandwagon here this morning in the sense that gift cards are always one of the most popular gift items during the holiday season. But a new bank rate survey out just this week finds that nearly half of us are sitting on gift cards that we have not used. Senior industry analyst Ted Rossman is with us once again this morning with more on this survey. And Ted, it is quite literally billions of dollars that have been spent on gift cards that are just sitting there. Yeah, $23 billion nationwide. Wow. As you said, about half of us have unused gift cards. The average value per person is $187, which is up substantially from 116 two years ago. That whole point about Christmas in July, I mean, you may still be sitting on gift cards that you got not just last Christmas, maybe <laughs> the one before that sure. or the one before that. I mean, sometimes we're our own worst enemy and we just forget. We put it in a drawer somewhere, the bottom of our wallet or purse or glove compartment or whatever it is. The homework assignment is to find these gift cards and come up with a plan to use them. Uh, Especially given the fact that so many people say money is tight these days. Obviously, this represents a lot of unlocked value. I think that's the main point. Yeah, I view this as a real inflation-busting 
strategy. If you have a couple hundred free dollars lying around, go ahead and use it. And obviously you're going to get the best value if you use the card for yourself. Maybe if it's not a store you really like, or you don't really need anything right now, maybe use it for a friend or family member's upcoming birthday or holiday Mm. gift, or if all else fails, maybe resell it. You can get about 70 to 80% of what it's worth on a website like card cash or raise. You know, uh, I was looking at the numbers here and I'm thinking uh, a lot of this probably depends on the kind of gift cards that you are not using. I mean, I know I've got a couple of home improvement gift cards that I haven't used yet because I don't have the money to finish the projects that I wanted to use them for. So, you know, hoping maybe this winter to be able to do that, whereas a, a gas card or a grocery gift card would get used right away. But as you mentioned, there are ways of unlocking that value, even if you aren't you know uh, ultimately able to use them for the purpose that they were intended that's right and you know i think part of the risk of holding on to these cards for too long is well a few things can happen i mean one we could lose it we could forget about it inflation does eat into the value over time sometimes stores go out of business that's another one to worry about right. or inactivity fees those can kick in after a year of non-use. So I really think it's important to come up with that plan. The resale option is an interesting one because even though you won't get full value, 70 or 80% sure beats nothing. Um, But like I said, you could use it for yourself. You could use it for a friend or family member's gift. Um, I, I think there's a lot you can do that's better than just having these gather dust somewhere. It's kind of interesting. Again, getting back to the survey, there's some generational differences here. There were some big generational differences. Yeah, young adults are the most likely to have unused gift cards. 52% of millennials, 47% of Gen Zers. That compares to about 45% of Gen Xers and 43% of boomers. What I also thought was interesting was that it's Gen Xers who have the highest average unused value. That really stood out. $251 per person among Gen Xers with unused gift cards. That's a nice chunk of change that I really think people should take more advantage of. And by the way, I would say the same thing about credit card rewards, frequent flyer miles, hotel points. Mm -hmm. All of these represent stores of value that we might forget that we have. Uh, And I always wonder how much do businesses actually count on a certain percentage of gift cards going unused. I mean, for them, uh, people are paying for goods and services and then not using them. That represents pure profit. Starbucks reportedly has more than a billion dollars in unused gift cards just lying around. So, yeah, it is pretty staggering. From an accounting standpoint, the company does get cash flow in the near term. They can't fully realize the revenue until somebody actually uses the card. Mm. Although there are some rules about so-called breakage. Like that's when usually it's five or more years. If, if a gift card hasn't been used in that amount of time, then accounting rules allow the company to claim at least some of the revenue. Mm. It reminds me though of something that went on during the pandemic, which was a lot of people bought gift cards to kind of tide their favorite stores over when things were bad. Yeah. It's important to make use of those. You know, if you're sitting on a gift card that you've had for a few years, 
you want to actually use it before you lose it or forget about it or it expires or something like that. That is a, a good point. And I remember a lot of people did that, uh, you know, the idea of sort of banking that value and helping businesses out when they were uh, going through a, a tough time. But again, you don't want to just sit on. And that's really the biggest problem, as you were alluding to, and, and has always been the, the case that a fair number of gift cards are purchased uh, either for uh, for their your, a person's own use or or given as a as a gift and then promptly forgotten about and again the main point making sure that you don't let those gift cards just go to waste that's right and a lot of people have these now on one hand we have about 40 percent of us saying that we've made an effort to use gift cards more frequently over the past year because of economic concerns so i think that's a smart idea but then we put that up against the stat that last year 75% of people with unused gift cards told us they would use either all of them or most of them over the next year. We really haven't seen that percentage mm. budge at all. So I, I would kind of cry foul on that a little bit. I think people had good intentions, but didn't really deliver on using the cards. So that's where I think it's important to be intentional. Maybe even put a reminder in your calendar, use this gift card for an upcoming date night mm-hmm. or someone's birthday or or even start thinking ahead to the holiday season which is about four or five months away at this point <laughs> exactly as we're talking about christmas in july maybe you can make that uh you know the the thing that you do here in the uh, second half of the year uh again uh, senior industry analyst ted rossman with us this morning this new bank rate survey on the uh, number of gift cards that are out there going unused we'll have a link up on our webpage for more information about the survey and ted thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it Of course. Yeah, thank you. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. The leader of an extremist political party in Ireland now claims that the gold that they have been hoarding in the event of economic collapse has been stolen. In a statement posted over the weekend, Justin Barrett accused two other National Party members of taking the gold from a vault in Dublin. The Irish police have since located the gold bars, which are valued at nearly a half a million dollars. They are now investigating who the gold legally belongs to and if any crime was actually committed. Mr. Barrett says he has already expelled the two suspected party members and said a gangrenous limb cannot be accommodated, only amputated. The party does not have any elected officials in office, but (laughs) I don't know. It's It's just weird. The gold that they had been hoarding in the event of economic collapse has been stolen. Uh, Elsewhere in the broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines, uh, we meet Michael Martinez, the audacious mastermind of the Ferrari fiasco in Salt Lake City, Utah. In a booze-infused moment of genius, Mr. Martinez broke into a Ferrari dealership using a rock smashed through the window, 
stumbled upon the keys inside a car worth a cool $600,000. is according to police report. Uh, (laughs) In sort of like a, a scene out of a Fast and Furious movie, he engaged in a chaotic car dance, smashing into four unfortunate vehicles, causing an estimated $100,000 in damage. Utah Highway Patrol caught Mr. Martinez casually walking away from the vehicle near the exit on an interstate. <laughs> he just abandoned the vehicle. I'll just leave this here. He was just walking away. Uh, <laughs> when apprehended... Mr. Martinez brushed off his escapade as a spontaneous decision fueled by an all-day drinking spree. He was arrested on multiple counts of property damage, uh, property damage, theft, burglary, and I would imagine driving under the influence. $600,000 Ferrari. <laughs> Just absolutely obliterated. Oh, man. <clears throat> Chalk that under the category of seemed like a good idea at the time. Oh, this will be fun. One of those hold my beer moments. Uh, this is not something that you expect to have happen. Uh, not an, you know, an everyday occurrence. Uh, in Georgetown, Texas, a plane crashed through the roof of a home on Sunday. Residents in the neighborhood say they were shocked to see the three people on board the single-engine aircraft had survived a witness said other than some cuts and and burns from walking on the hot roof cuz it's been very hot in Texas <laughs> that was the that was the biggest injury uh they had some burns from walking on the hot roof after the plane crashed into the roof of the home uh the trio of the plane seemed to be in pretty good shape they were taken to a local hospital for treatment of the injury the house was not occupied and uh, so no one else was hurt the pilot had reported issues with the engine just before the crash. The FAA is investigating. It's crazy. <laughs> Imagine uh, looking at your neighbor's house and there's a plane sitting on top of it. Something you see every day. Speaking of strange things happening in the sky, this in uh, Guilford, Connecticut, a man is recovering after falling out of a hot air balloon. Yikes. Apparently, the victim was a volunteer at the Balloon Glow and Laser Show in Guilford, Connecticut this week. When the accident happened, no word on exactly how it happened. He was rushed to the hospital, but uh, is in stable condition. He's expected to recover. The uh, incident is under investigation. Fell out of a hot air balloon. Fell out of the balloon. Man. Be careful when you're volunteering to those uh, balloons. we got the Flag City Balloon Fest coming up. Gotta be careful about these things. Falling out of a balloon. That's crazy. Uh, this is a follow-up. Uh, you may remember last year, see if you can remember this, the woman in Oxfordshire, England, who married the spirit of a Victorian soldier. You remember this lady? Uh, she's 40 years old. She married the married, quote unquote, married the spirit of a Victorian soldier. Well, now a sad ending to the story. The two are headed for Splitsville. Uh, The woman says she met the ghost of Eduardo 
on a stormy night in 2021. The two became inseparable, but now the pair is having relationship problems. First, she says they couldn't decide on a wedding date. And now, after their ceremony, Eduardo has become overly intoxicated. Started during their honeymoon. (laughs) He's got a drinking problem. This spirit has a drinking problem. And to make matters worse, he says, uh, she says now he's having an affair with the late Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Eduardo's having an affair with the spirit of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, she actually said that uh, she spotted them at their, uh, she spotted her at the, uh, at the wedding. So, Alrighty then. <clears throat> so sad that it didn't work out. <laughs> and finally, in the uh, in the program, I remember hearing, uh, I remember that uh, that story from a year ago, and and uh, thinking it could not get any more bizarre than that. And suddenly it did. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, this is a sweet story, a uh, story to put a smile on your face here in the broken news. A young boy headed down a neighborhood sidewalk when he made a stop at a random house with a doorbell camera. Uh, No, wasn't doing the ding-dong ditch thing. You know, the doorbell cameras make that tough to do. You remember when you were kids, you played ding-dong ditch? It was a harmless little prank. Got doorbell cameras now and can't get away with that. So anyway, he goes up to the uh, doorbell camera and decides to leave a positive message of encouragement for whoever happened to see the, uh, the video a uh, perfect stranger, a uh, house of somebody that he didn't know, but he just wanted to spread some cheer. The video was posted on YouTube, uh, does not identify the boy or the location, but the youth uh, is an American. Uh, he's walking with a few friends in a tree-lined neighborhood. He looks directly into the camera with an earnestness and wisdom seemingly beyond his years and says, you matter. All right. You matter. There's always going to be someone who cares about you. You are a good person. No matter what people say about you, you matter. Just want to say something nice. You matter, man or girl, whoever you are. You matter to someone. Just keep that in mind and never forget it. That was his message. He left on some random person's doorbell camera. Isn't that awesome? That is just really cool. So uh, kudos to whoever this young man is, wherever he is. We need more people like that. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's Broken News Report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music. But it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. And now our daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Now, you know, we have been talking about back to school this week because we're going to be doing our Stuff the Bus campaign on Friday. Well, it's happening Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We'll be uh, taking the show on the road on Friday morning to our Stuff the Bus location, which, of course, is McDonald's on 
uh, on uh, Tiffin Avenue. So hope to see you out there on uh, Friday morning. Have breakfast with us, make a donation, and help uh, kids get the new school year started right. But for all of the talk of back to school this week, there is still some summer left. And uh, if you have not yet taken your summer vacation, gotten away with the family, there's still time uh, to do that. Well, a new survey of 2,000 traveling adults finds that the average American has a vacation budget of $2,743. That's the average budget, $2,743. It's actually a pretty healthy vacation budget there. Uh, Although this I thought was kind of interesting, 16% of those in the poll say they refuse to spend over a thousand bucks on vacation. (laughs) I understand the sentiment, but it is really hard to spend less than a thousand dollars on vacation. I mean, when you consider, you know, take everything into account from your accommodations to travel uh, the souvenirs, the food, this, you know, the whole thing, it's hard to get away even for a couple, three days and, and spend less than $1,000, um, never mind a, a week or more. But uh, 16% refuse to spend over $1,000. Uh, according to the survey, 53% of those polled prioritize saving for their next trip. This is how much we love our vacations. Six, uh, uh, 53% say they prioritize saving for their next trip over spending on hobbies, retirement savings, and even home improvements. Americans say that they need three vacations per year. But 58% say that even a one-night stay away from home is good enough. Just any kind of break. Is what they're looking for. By the way, how much time do Americans spend looking for the perfect vacation deal? The average respondent spends four hours searching before they book a vacation. Sarah Clevidence is here from the Finlay Hancock County Public Library with an update on what's happening as we Head into the month of August. It's hard to believe that uh, new month is right around the corner. Where is the summer gone? I know my daughter's heading out school supply shopping this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as such, you know, with uh, uh, transitioning into this back to school uh, kind of mindset here, you know, a lot of the uh, summer uh, children's programming starting to wind down. It is. Summer read goes through the first week of August, and okay. then our children's staff will take a well-deserved break <laughs> for the rest of the month. So a uh, just a. Uh, let people know get those uh last reading uh absolutely finish your logging yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, get those uh, all logged and everything uh, so that you can take care of that before uh, summer read ends uh here in uh, just a couple of weeks you do have uh one program i understand coming up uh for the youth uh an escape room yes it's actually youth and their families it'll uh be friday through monday okay so there's several different sessions uh the the theme this time is cat burglars crew so museum guard has stolen a diamond and plans to frame you 
you do need to register for the escape room, okay. which you can do online or by calling the children's department. Okay, and uh, that's coming up this weekend. You this said? weekend. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, if you're looking for uh, something to do, there you go. Um, what else is uh, is going on? You have a lot of uh, adult uh, stuff for uh, adult patrons. Yes, our, our adult department does not take August off, so they've got a lot happening. There's uh, instant pot mocktails on October second. Okay. Uh, Hancock Public Health Mobile Clinic will be at the library on August 10th. Okay. Uh, we've got a, a yoga class uh, next Monday. Uh, they'll be out at 50 North for a book tasting. So you can kind of see a book tasting. A book tasting. Okay, now how does this work? You can come sample a literary buffet. Uh, so they'll bring a variety of books from a lot of different genres. Uh, so you can kind of interact with our staff, uh-huh. learn a little bit more about them, oh, okay. check out some options. I see. All right. Very good. Yeah. And, uh, there are also uh, uh, some uh, author uh, talks uh, yes. coming up. Virtual author talks continue, yeah. of course, in August. There's a pretty big one. August 23rd is Cassandra Clare. She did the uh, Mortal Instruments series, which was very popular. And there will actually be a, a uh, Shadow Hunter magic prep program that goes along with that okay. the day before her now, talk. Now, for, for those who are not familiar, uh, the uh, virtual uh, author talks, uh, explain how this works. Sure. So we do this in partnership with Marathon, Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. You can mm-hmm. go to either one of our websites uh, to register for them. You can watch them live, but you can also just go back and watch the recording. They, they stay on our website for, uh, some of them are still up from the, the initial viewing. Some of yeah. them have a limited range, but... Uh, uh, really interesting uh, to sort of find out uh you know thoughts from the author and the on the crafting of the book and you know that kind of thing they're really wonderful there's a great moderator who leads the discussion it's very conversational so it's, mm-hmm. it's a fun behind the scenes look at yeah. the author's work uh and uh one other thing that uh we actually were talking about in the news uh here a few days ago and want to get more information it's kind of a uh, an expansion on what had been called the the human library i know that was a project that was done what last year or a couple of years yes, ago yes we've done it last two years human library yeah. we're switching it to living library this year so okay. human library um started in denmark and, and uh that, that's sort of a controlled program yeah um very specific things that you need to follow there and it, it's really kind of limited to uh, breaking stereotypes and we wanted mm-hmm. to expand that a little bit more so absolutely still want to have uh books in our living library that that could uh, help defy stereotypes but you know there's there's folks that just have interesting life stories yeah you could be a li- a, a book and talk so about being a radio dj so it's the uh so it's the same concept same but concept. expanded uh, expanded to to bring in a bigger variety of books and uh, again for those who uh maybe have heard the term but are not really uh, familiar the idea is to get to sit down with individuals that have very different life experiences than your own and learn more about them absolutely you get a half hour for a conversation and it is very much a conversation so you can ask questions it's a you know a safe environment uh you know to have a very open conversation mm-hmm. uh so how does someone sign up to participate in this? Sure. You can go to the library's website or stop by the reference desk uh, to pick up an application. Applications are due August 15th for okay. anyone who wants to be a part of the Living Library. Uh, and then the event itself will take place later in the fall. Okay. Uh, we'll be partnering with the University of Finley again, doing it out at the Moss Museum. And uh, the goal is to, or is there a goal to have a, a certain number of people? I mean, how many would you uh, like to see to really make this a, a successful event? 
Yeah, you know, I think a, at least a dozen books would be a, a nice goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's it's nice to have a wide variety of yeah. stories. Yeah, um, and we have had. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yes. Is that you know, again, because this could be anyone. It really, it could be anyone, and. Honestly, we'd take more, the more stories, the better. Uh, uh, unsurprisingly, we want as many books as we can get. <laughs> right. um, because it's it's one of those things, and we were talking about it uh, the, the last couple of times we've done this. Um, everybody's Everybody's got a story. Every life Absolutely. has a story. Every life has a story. You know, you've, we've all dealt with something challenging or taken an interesting trip or just have a a lived experience that's unique to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, as you were as you were mentioning, you know, I could be uh, a living library uh, book to mm-hmm. talk about my experiences on the radio, but it doesn't have to necessarily be career based. Oh, absolutely not. We've yeah. had uh, we had somebody who was a teen mom uh, mm-hmm. in a previous one. Um, we've had somebody who's a stepmom. Uh, we've had um, a social worker. We've had mm-hmm. you know people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds, members yeah. of the LGBTQ community, just a wide variety of people. Yeah. And the more, the merrier. You know, when you attend the Living Library, you probably won't have time to sit down and talk to every book, but you can pick the ones that, that you most want to learn more about and have a mm-hmm. great conversation with them. And that's really the idea. Is it is. Learning more about uh, other members of the community that we share. Right. Um, so, again, if, if folks want to participate, uh, the information on this is either at the library or online. Absolutely, finleylibrary.org. If you want just more information, you want to talk to somebody a little, little more detail about how it goes, stop in and see Melody Flick, our librarian. Uh, like you said, the uh, deadline to apply is coming up mid-August, but the event itself is going to be later on. Later in the fall for the Do, event. Uh, will, will folks, if they're interested in participating but maybe not quite ready to be a living library book themselves, they'll still be able to participate? Yes, no problem. Uh, go ahead and send in your application. Uh, Melody will meet with everybody, help them you know, kind of go through crafting their their story. We want people to have a, you know, be prepared with the telling of their story, but also mm-hmm. be prepared for conversation and, and the questions that might come up. It sounds like uh, it's going to be, well, it has been really interesting in the past. It sounds it like by expanding this, uh, it, it should open up an awful lot of uh, interesting possibilities. Absolutely. And thanks to some volunteers uh, from the University of Finley, and a couple of, of the uh, honor societies there. It's a really smoothly run event. Yeah. Uh, We've got a link up for more information about uh, all of that and the things that are going on at the uh, Findlay-Hancock County Public Library or surrounding the library uh, in the uh, month of August. And again, the deadline for Summer Read is coming up when? The first Saturday in August is the last day of Summer Read. All right, so uh, get those uh, books logged and uh, keep reading. Uh, Again, uh, Sarah Clevidence with us this morning. Sarah, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, we'll get a complete preview of what is new to see and do and eat at the 2023 Ohio State Fair. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.